I've always said uh, it's dangerous to give a pastor a microphone. <laughs> All right, well, I'm, uh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, if in case I get distracted this morning, uh, before I came up here, my daughter handed uh, this to me, and she said something very important to me. Dad, don't lose this. So if I flip my pages in the middle of the sermon and I start talking about fruit and watermelon and pineapple and the fruit of the Spirit, uh, just give me half a second to get back on track again. I'll probably figure out exactly where I'm supposed to be. But I thought, you know what, I better bring it up on stage with me because otherwise I will lose it and I will forget about it. So some time ago, probably about a month or two ago, I was watching a movie. Um, it's called The Tomorrow War. Anybody, anybody watched it? A few people watched it? Okay. I'm not going to spoil it for those of you who haven't seen it, but basically it's humans versus aliens. Um, you've seen it all before. But there's something in particular about this one, and what happens in this movie is 25 years, I don't know, 25, 30 years in the future, um, aliens attack the planet Earth, and humans are dying in scores, and they're having a hard time. They're, they're desperately trying to come up with more and more people who can fight against the aliens, and somehow they figure out this technology where they can actually travel back in time to today's time period. And what they do is they travel back in time and they take people from today's time period and they transport them 25, 30 years into the future to keep fighting the war. So that's why it's called the Tomorrow War. And the movie follows the one main character. He's a dad and when he's taken away from his timeline right now, um, his daughter is about, I'd say about 10 or 11 years old. And he gets transported into the future and in the future he meets up with this woman who is kind of like one of the leaders and she's one of the scientists who's going to find a way to save humanity. And I'm not going to ruin anything for anybody in case you want to watch it, but within a few short minutes, what we find out is that this woman that he's met is his daughter. But she's now 25, 30 years older, and there's a section of the movie. What's that? Oh, I have ruined. You find out in like the first half hour of the movie, okay? Maybe I ruined the first half hour, but the rest of it is good. Sorry, you can still watch it, Virgil. It's a good movie. Um, but you have, there's this section of the movie where he is just amazed at the person that his daughter has become. And oddly enough, as I'm watching this movie, I start thinking about Job, the character of Job in the Bible. Now, you might be kind of wondering, okay, that's a little bit of a stretch. How does the Tomorrow War relate to Job. Well, first off, my mind travels in weird directions. If you follow with me for a period of time, you're going to start to wonder about my sanity. So right off the bat, that explains why. But really, as I was listening to this father talking about his daughter and how amazing she has become, what I heard was something that I had read several months ago. For, for some reason, I just, it just, I started reading through the book of Job. And Job chapter 1 verse 8 jumped out at me. And I heard that in the words of the Father in the movie. Job chapter 1. So what happens in the beginning of the book is Satan comes into God's throne room and they have a conversation and God asks Satan, so where have you been? And he's like, well, I'm roaming around the world trying to, you know, kill and destroy and do terrible things. And then in verse 8, God says, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He is a man who fears God and shuns evil. And what, what do you hear when, when I read that? What do you hear there? I hear a father who is proud of who one of his children have become. What I hear is a father bragging about their kid. Very much like in the movie, 
when the father realizes how amazing his daughter has become, the woman that she's become, and he's bragging about who she is, Job, or sorry, God is bragging to Satan of all people. Uh, God is bragging about his amazing servant, Job. Now, um, this is at the time of the sermon when I was going to use actually my daughter as an example, and she just walked out the door. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm going to ramble for about 30 seconds until she comes right. No, I'm kidding. What I hear in the words of God is pride. When I hear him talking about his servant Job, I hear him talking about how amazing Job has become. And he's listing off the characteristics of who Job is. So it would be very similar to me as a father saying, hey, turn around and look back there. There's my daughter Mia. (laughs) Have you guys considered my daughter Mia? She is awesome. Okay, a year ago, and, and, and this is true. A year ago, her technical abilities were roughly about uh, typing up an essay on Word and maybe surfing TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and posting some selfies. Now, now, she can run every tech aspect of that booth back there. She can run the soundboard from start to finish, set up, including all of this stuff up here. She can run the live stream, which I have absolutely no clue how to do. She can run this stuff. I don't... Sermon Pro, something like that, presenter, whatever technology and software we use, she can run all of this stuff. Every tech aspect of our morning service she can do, and she can do a layup and shoot a free throw. I am absolutely proud of who she is and what God has been doing in her. In fact, after high school, she's going to be going on a missions trip where she's going to be doing some local missions for a few months, and then she's going to be going overseas to Guatemala to do a missions trip over there. I am absolutely proud of you, Mia, and the woman that you've become, and it is super exciting as your dad to be a part of that and to see that. That is what God did with Job. He highlighted one of his servants and said, have you considered how amazing this guy is? Now, I'm up here standing before you as a human father having a proud papa moment. God, the creator of the universe, sustainer of life, was having a proud papa moment in heaven's throne room in front of the angels and the demons that had come in. And in chapter 1, verse 8, what we see is God's pronouncement of Job's character. Now, what we read here is not Job talking about himself. It's not his friends saying, hey, this is what we see in this guy. It's not the author of the book describing another human being. This is God giving a pronouncement on Job's character. And God sees all of Job. He doesn't just see him on a Sunday morning. He doesn't just see him when he's at work. But God sees Job when he is in his quiet times, when he is alone. And he still gives this pronouncement that he is a man who is blameless. He is upright He fears God and he shuns evil. And as I read through this several months ago, I thought to myself, what do I want God's pronouncement to be of me? What do I want him, not not what would he say, what do I want him to be able to say about me? What characteristics do I want him to use? If he was going to brag about me, how would he describe me? You've heard me say before that when I get to heaven, I want God to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't even care what comes next after that. I just want to know that God was pleased with me. But this is a different question. 
The question I'm asking now is, is God proud of me? Is that what we want God to be able to say about us? And answering this question forces some fairly honest and I think brutal self-reflection, which by the way, I hate doing. Self-reflection is hard, but I think it's necessary. And when I do some self-reflection and I think, okay, what do I want God, God's pronouncement of my character to be? I look to what God said about Job, and I think that's what I want God to be able to say about me. Of course, the answer to that then is that I have to strive to become that type of person. You know, when you look through the Bible, you see that Abraham was called God's friend. David was called a man after God's own heart. But when it comes to Job, God himself speaks and makes a pronouncement of Job's character. He identifies these four different things, blameless, upright, fears God, and shuns evil. Now, each one of these characteristics on their own, it's a whole series, it's a whole sermon in each one of these things. So, for me to go through all four of these is probably going to take us about two hours. So, um, if you guys want to order in some lunch, that would, uh, it's probably a good idea. We'll be here till about two o'clock. No, I'm kidding. Um, but we are going to go through these four characteristics this morning. I'm going to briefly go through each one and just kind of highlight what exactly do these mean. Because some of these terms, when it comes to our character, it's maybe a little bit difficult to understand. Because I know some of them, I, I struggled with them a little bit. So maybe this morning, you'll kind of get a, you'll get a picture to the conversations that happen inside my mind when I talk to myself and then I answer myself. And then, and then we talk back and forth. And then eventually, I tell myself to shut up. Uh, hopefully, no one this morning is telling me to shut up. <clears throat> So while I don't envy the suffering that Job went through, I would love to know that God is proud of my character and that he would brag about me in the same way that he did about Job. So the first character that we see, blameless. What does it mean to be blameless? Well, I'd always thought, okay, well, that obviously means you're perfect because you've never done anything wrong. But we know that no human is perfect except Jesus. He was the only perfect man. So obviously Job was not perfect, and yet God still called him blameless. <clears throat> so the concept of blamelessness, it was first introduced as part of the Jewish sacrificial system. In fact, it was a violation of Jewish law to sacrifice an animal that had any kind of a physical defect or it had any kind of a physical blemish. And 2,000 years later, Jesus was the final sacrifice, and he was the perfect sacrifice because he was without sin. Jesus was without blemish. And so us now today, as Jesus' disciples, <clears throat> we look at the term blameless, and it has a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts. The first thing to understand is we cannot become blameless in and of ourselves, but rather we become blameless in God's eyes through the sacrifice and through the work of Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that doesn't necessarily just give us the freedom just go out and do whatever we want because, hey, we live under grace, and because of God's grace and forgiveness, I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to worry about it, and so I don't even have to think about that. That's not the case. Rather, because of God's grace, we should be working towards living a blameless life, a life that is without blemish. Now, obviously, we are still humans. I am never going to be perfect, and none of us ever will be until, we, until God perfects us in heaven. But we should still be making we should still be attempting to live the blameless life. And so, now Job, he lived before Jesus. He lived before the cross. So when God refers to Job as one who is blameless, the cross hasn't occurred yet. Jesus' redemptive work on the cross hasn't occurred yet. So what we see, Job, is as one who is attempting to lead a blameless life, one who is attempting to live that blemish-free life, <clears throat> not without sin, 
but striving to be blameless in God's eyes. The second term, that, the second characteristic that God gives to Job is upright. So what exactly does it mean to be upright? I mean, obviously, standing upright is what I am doing right now, but how does that apply to our character? What does it mean to have the characteristic of being upright? Thank you. John, this was always uh, your thing, that you were always bringing me the bottle of water. I think I, I think I do. Do I squeeze the... Oh, hang on. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So my, is there a button that I push on here? Yes, thank you. <laughs> Whoever applauded for me figuring it out, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, upright. <clears throat> what does it mean to be upright? So the word actually comes from the Jew, Jewish or the Hebrew word yasar, which literally means to stand upright, to stand erect, or if in the horizontal position, it means to be perfectly level, perfectly smooth. So in other words, something that is upright can be used as a measuring stick to compare other things that might be crooked. To know if something else is crooked, you have to compare it to something that is perfectly straight, perfectly upright, like in today's construction terms, like a level or a ruler. To find out if something is straight or crooked, you would compare it against something that is straight, that is smooth, and that's where the word upright comes from. Uprightness was originally first used to describe God in the Old Testament, specifically in contrast to the other gods and deities that the pagan, uh, the pagan nations were worshipping. So in Old Testament times, pagans worshipped all sorts of gods, and each one of them were seen to be fickle and unreliable and just kind of using humanity as their own toys from time to time and just kind of playing with their lives. And in contrast to the deities of those days, the God of the Hebrews, Jehovah, is shown to be unchanging, that He is shown to be correct, He is shown to be genuine, He is shown to be upright. And that was something that couldn't be said about the deities of the other nations and the other pagans of the world of that time they were serving. <clears throat> and so the contrast is where the other deities are crooked, God is straight, He is upright, He has integrity. He says, he does what he says he is going to do. So another word you could think of, if you think of the word upright, you could think of as a person as having integrity. What do they do when no one is watching? Do they do the same thing when no one is watching as when they are being watched? If you're in a situation where you know that nobody is ever going to find out what you did, there will be no consequences to what you do, is the choice that you make going to be consistent with what you would choose to do if people were watching you. That is what integrity is. Or another way of saying it, if you go to church Sunday morning with somebody that you work with during the week, is that person going to see the same person Sunday morning that they see Monday around the water cooler? Is there consistency and integrity in your life? So when God describes Job as being somebody who is upright, he's saying that Job is a man of integrity. He's genuine. He acts righteously to the point where others could use him as an example, something that they should aspire to. The third characteristic that we see that Job being described as someone who fears God. Now, I'll be honest, for most of my life, this concept of fearing God is something that I always struggled with. <clears throat> if God loves me, what do I need to be afraid of? He's not going to hurt me, right? 
And yet what we see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then if you look in 1 John, John says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So fear God, but there's no fear in love, and God is love? Confused much? I was. I was for, for a long time. Um, and then at some point, somebody said, well, you know what, just substitute the word fear for respect. Respect God. And I thought, okay, well, that sort of makes sense. But if that's the case, then why does the Bible use the word fear and just not use the word respect? Wouldn't it be easier and less confusing to just use the word respect? But as I grew older, somewhat, well, not wiser, but more knowledgeable at least, I started to realize that when the Bible's talking about fearing God, it goes far, far deeper than just respect. For many years, I accepted the explanation that I just needed to respect God. But as I realized that there's so much more to it, with fearing God speaks to such a deep and consuming reverence and complete awe for who God is. It goes so much farther than just simply respect. It has such an consuming reverence for who God is and for His character that the only possible response is full and joyful submission to Him. If we truly understand who God is, if we truly fear God, the only possible response to that is to throw ourselves at His feet and worship Him because He is the only one that is truly worthy of our worship. Job lived in such a way that he was in such awe of who God is. He had such deep reverence for God that he lived in complete submission to God. And God recognizes that. It wasn't, again, it wasn't somebody else commenting on, oh, well, Job looks like he lives this life. No, this is God saying, this is who Job is. And finally, the last characteristic that God gives to Job is that he shuns evil. Now, the concept of shunning, shunning evil at first, I thought, oh, this is going to be, this is a fairly simple one. You basically just avoid doing anything wrong, right? That's, that's what it would be. But to ignore something is to just take a passive approach. Ignoring, ignoring is passive. It's a passive verb. Shunning is an active verb. There's a difference between simply ignoring evil versus shunning it. To shun something is to actively push that away or to actively remove yourself from that situation. For example, if I'm approached by an attractive young woman who comes up to me, an attractive young woman other than my wife, um, and she comes up to me and starts flirting with me. Yes, I see a few people chucking, chucking. okay. I, I have learned I haven't achieved wisdom, but I have learned if you're going to use your family as sermon analogies, you do it right. <laughs> let's put, let's, so let's say somebody, an attractive young lady comes up and starts flirting with me. It, it hasn't happened in recent memory, um, but you never know. I have a couple of options. I can, you know, ignore the situation, simply be polite and, you know, smile and nod, or... I can actively remove myself from that situation. And that is the difference between simply ignoring evil and actively shunning it, is that specific action taken to remove yourself from a situation. Now, let's make it a little bit more of a realistic example. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. 
at work, at home, in our social circles. When someone makes a racist or a sexist or an inappropriate joke, how do we respond? Do we just kind of chuckle nervously? <laughs> do we sit there silently, not wanting to support, but at the same time not wanting to potentially embarrass ourselves by calling it out as wrong? We can come be complicit with our silence. Do we choose that route? <clears throat> or do we actively remove ourselves from that situation and say, you know what, I am not going to be a part of this and remove yourself or even better yet confront and expose that particular attitude or comment as being inappropriate. In Psalm 37, David says, depart from evil and do good. Some translations say turn from evil. Either one, the meaning is clear that we are in that type of a situation when we are confronted with evil. Do we simply ignore it but stay in that situation where we can be drawn in? Or do we actively remove ourselves and shun that and say, I refuse to be a part of this evil? What God loves to see is a person that takes their faith and puts it into action. Doesn't just passively sit there and let things happen around them, but actively chooses to remove themselves from that and in so doing, shunning evil and not allowing it to have a foothold in their life. By describing Job as one who shuns evil, God is saying that when Job is faced with it, he doesn't just resist, he actively removes himself and separates himself from evil. <clears throat> this is the picture of the person that God can brag about. This is the picture that God is showing us. A person who responds to God's grace by seeking to live a blameless life without blemish. A person who is upright, a person of integrity, a person who is the same here Sunday morning as they are throughout the rest of the week, whether at home or at work, at school or at play. God paints a picture of a person who has such complete reverence and awe for Him that the only possible response is submission to Him and a person who not passively but actively shuns evil and temptation and removes themselves from that. When you read Job chapter 1, verse 8, do you want God to be able to substitute your name for Job's? When he is bragging to somebody about you, what characteristics do you want him to be able to use to describe you? I hope that your answer to that question is yes, that you want to be able to substitute your name for Job's. My answer is yes, I want to be. Do I struggle with it? Every day. Absolutely every day. But then I have to take the hard step of comparing myself to this standard. How do I measure up? I experience God's grace in my life on a daily basis. How do I respond to God's grace in my life? Am I motivated or urged on to live a blameless life in response to His grace? Will I be the same person tomorrow morning as I am right now standing here in front of you? Or will I even be the same person tonight around the dinner table with my family as I am here this morning with you? My family can probably answer that question better than I can. Uh, please don't ask them. I think I know what their answer will be. 
I do have work to do in that area. I have work to do in all of these areas. Do I fear God? Am I truly in complete awe of who He is? Do I submit out of reverence for Him? Well, I would say some days, yes. But there are some days the answer to that would be no. Do I throw myself on my knees in worship? Do I shun evil? Do I actively remove myself from situations that I know I shouldn't be in? These are hard questions to ask, and sometimes the answers are not, aren't what we like to see. But if we want to be the person, if we want to be the disciple, the follower that God is proud of, then we need to ask ourselves these difficult questions, and we need to have the strength and the courage to put into practice what is necessary in order to make these characteristics our own. And so this morning, I would encourage you, ask yourself these questions. Start off with just the questions. Not because you want to beat yourself up about not measuring up, not because you want to weigh yourself down with guilt, but to honestly reflect, honestly reflect what characteristics would God use to describe you? And then the next step is, how can you become more of that person that God could brag about? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank, you for, I thank you for the example of Job that you've given us. I thank you for sharing his story in your word so that we can see that. We can look at who he is and we can see what you have said about him. I pray, Father, that this morning that your Holy Spirit would be moving through each one of us that all those of us here today and watching, whether it's today or watching later on, that each one of us would be moved by your grace. Not moved to take advantage of your grace, but to respond to your grace with love and submission. And I ask, Father, that you would open our eyes, that we would develop such a deep and profound reverence for you, that we would be so in awe of who you are, that the only possible response is to throw ourselves on our knees in front of your throne to submit to you and to worship you and to give you glory and to give you praise. As we leave here this morning, Lord, I ask that you would make us people of integrity, that the people that we are this morning would be the people that we show to the world and that through that, you can use our example as your followers, as your family and as your children to draw other to you so that the name of your son Jesus can be glorified in our lives and in our community. In his name we pray, amen.